church you guys believe that God's in this space right now he is right here and right now that's what he's concerned with he's not he's not in love with the future version of you that's got all your stuff figured out he's in love with the you that is right here and right now and the only interest he has in your past is redeeming it and using it and and teaching you from it moving forward right like you might think that you walk into like a church and, and like people can smell your past on you. Let me like, listen to me. That will never be the case at this church. Amen. As long as Jesus is in your life, your past is not. As long as Jesus is in your life, mistakes from your past are now souvenirs of grace for your future for you to take with you. And so welcome to church, you guys. My name is Doug Weckenman, if I haven't met you. I live in Austin, and every once in a while, I preach in Denver, and I love it every single time I get to do it, so thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Church is way more fun when you're here, so thank you for being here. We are in our final week of a series where we are using the elements of creation to describe the elements of faith. So what does real faith look like in our day and age? Because like it wasn't that long ago that the rebels of society were the, the immoral and the disobedient, right? But what about when the norm of society is disobedience and immorality? Then all of a sudden, the rebels are the moral and the, and the obedient, right? Like in immorality, morality stands out. And that's our calling as followers of Jesus to stand out, not just by what we believe, but by what we say and what we do, functional faith. And so do you use your faith or do you just have a faith and kind of pray you never need to, right? Today, we are going to use our final element of creation, Earth. Happy Earth Day, by the way, at Red Rocks, to talk about our final element for faith, which is going to be work. And so if you're taking notes, we'll call this message, Work the Earth. And here's where we're going. Like, what, what is the connection between what we believe and what we do. Look at James 2, verse 17. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Wow, James, tell us what you really think, right? Like, this guy is a one on the Enneagram. There's no debate about it. Like, type A through and through. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand in glove. If faith is guacamole, work is the avocados. Amen? Guac without avocado is as useless as faith without action, right? So once again, do you, do you use your faith or do you just have one, right? Faith without works is kind of like a, a, a battery without power. And so do I dare? Should I test it? Do it. Nothing. Nothing. A powerless battery is a workless faith. 
AKA dead. But don't take my word for it. Take C.S. Lewis's. Here we go. Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. And I love this. It does seem to me like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary. Martin Luther said it this way. This is good. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Faith and work, you were designed for both. Emphasis on the word designed. And so I'll show you. If you have your Bibles, go to page one. We're going to go back to the beginning, back to the original design. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. I'm reading from the NIV. Here we go. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we are the Salem Elohim. Those are the Hebrew words behind um, image of God right there, okay? And so what this is, is the, the great democratizing of all humanity, regardless of, of race or age or gender or socioeconomic status. Every human being is made not like God, but in God's likeness, right? And that's a big deal. I mean, like we, as human beings, we should have a deep and profound respect, not only for ourselves, but for other people, because even that person that you disagree with, that person that kind of annoys you, that person that you talk bad about when they're not in the room, like you ought to be careful about how you talk about the divine artist's work, right? That person is Salem Elohim, the image of the invisible God, here to be a representative of God to the rest of creation. And it's a big deal. And it goes on to say, then God blessed them and said, because of that, be fruitful and increase in number. Fine, God. Talked me into it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then once again, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so there is a direct connection between the Hebrew words for image of God and the Hebrew word for rule over. That's the word radah, R-A-D-A-H. And it's actually the language of royalty, believe it or not. And so Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to radah, to royally rule or royally reign or have dominion over God's creation. And so th like this answers the timeless question, what does it mean to be human? Or like, why are you here? Why am I here? Why are any of us here? We get the answer on page one in the Bible. I, I would say it's twofold. You are here to be and to do. You are here first and foremost simply just to be God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, and then you are here to have dominion over God's creation, to cultivate and create within creation, to radah, which as it turns out is a lot like what you and I would call work. So pay attention right here. You are loved for who you are. Make no mistake, you are loved for who you are, but you were created to do. 
Loved for who you are, but created to do. Think about it this way. The Bible starts in a garden in Genesis, and the Bible ends in Revelation in a city, right? Which means the Garden of Eden was never a finished product, but rather a project that you and I find ourselves in the very middle of right now. The garden is dynamic. It was not meant to be static. I've heard it said this way. We are created to royally reign and rule and actively partner with God in moving the world forward, right? I love that. His kingdom come on earth through your work. And so now we have to address this because according to Genesis chapter three and the fall of creation, work is now cursed, okay? Which is why it comes with words like toiling and striving. But this is so important. Make no mistake, work was given as a blessing in Genesis chapter two before the fall. The original point of work was to be a blessing because work connects us with purpose and connects us to something that is bigger than ourselves. It gives meaning to our lives in the here and now. And that's why I have some friends who, who made bank, and that's a young way of saying they made a lot of money, right? I'm like, I have gray hair now. I have to stay hip. And uh, because of that, they retired early and playing golf for a few years was awesome until it wasn't. And now they're, they're bored out of their minds because we are made to cultivate, made for work. And by the way, I mean work in a much broader sense and a much broader category than simply the job that you get paid to do. Like if you're in here and you have kids, is that work? Oh my gosh, that is work, right? And you don't get paid for like, they charge you to do that. You pay a lot of money to work that hard, right? If you volunteer at this church, is that work? Like that's, it's a lot of work. And plus there, there's running errands, mowing your lawn, paying the bills, landscaping, cleaning the house, writing that blog, writing that book, painting, designing, cooking, creating. This is, it's work. And whether it's vocational or your daily to-do list or a passion project, work, work is most of your life. And so God begins his story with an untamed, untapped, full of potential garden and places human beings in it to cultivate it. And if you keep reading it, we don't have time, but go read Genesis chapter two this week. And you're going to start reading a bunch of like like really random details about the Garden of Eden. You'll read about how like the, the trees were pleasing to the eye and good for eating, right? You'll read about how like there were four rivers that ran through the garden and one of the rivers has like gold all up in it and one of them has onyx and you're like, I don't even know what onyx is, but I know the Euphrates River had onyx back in the Eden days. And, and John Mark Comer, he's the author of a book called Garden City, which is an amazing book. And he makes this point. He's like, do you ever read that and think who cares? Like, God, like you sit down with a cup of coffee, open your Bible on a mundane Monday morning, hoping to get something practical. And you read about how there's onyx in one of the rivers back in Eden. And you're like, God, like, how, like, how am I supposed to apply that to my life? Why do I need this information? And I'm telling you, it's there. It's there because the author of Genesis is describing to you the starting point of all of 
creation. Trees that are good for, for food and good for building. Raw materials, right? There's, there's precious metal in the ground to, to dig up and to mine. There's energy in the wind and in the river, right? To work the earth. You're here to draw potential out of it and make something out of this place that you've been placed into. Tim Keller would define work this way. You, you might want to take a picture of this definition. I love this. Work. Rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that helps the world thrive and flourish. So when a graphic designer takes a vision and a, a color palette and a typeface and um, maybe an image and some shapes and makes something like that, right? When a, when a chef takes a bunch of random ingredients and makes a delicious dish, right? When a parent takes a, a child and, 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 and takes nutrition and takes education and discipline and love and cultivates a tiny little human, like, like this is working the earth, rearranging the raw material of our planet in everything we do as image bearers of God. We are, we are called to royally and actively partner with God in bringing the world forward. And so tomorrow, no, you're, you're not just going to work and you're not just raising your kids. You are co-ruling, co-reigning with the king of everything and you are co-creating with the creator of everything. And I've been praying that gives more meaning to Microsoft Excel spreadsheets for you this week. I really have. Because it's a big deal. It matters what you do. My, uh, my first job, I was 15 years old. I went and got a job at Subway. All right. And so I had a green polo shirt, yellow visor, and frosted tips. So for three years at Subway, I ate fresh and looked fresher. Okay. I feel like I have the record for longest time lasted at Subway, too. I really do. I, got, I still, like, smell like it on my skin every once in a while. And if you've ever been within a mile of a Subway restaurant, you know the exact smell I'm talking about. Like, you smell it, you're like, I don't know if I should be hungry or, like, concerned for the ozone right now, right? <laughs> but, guys, there are sandwich makers and then there are sandwich artists. You are looking at the latter right now. Truly. And you're like, does this guy have Uncle, Rin uh, Uncle Rico syndrome about Subway? Yes, I absolutely do. And I hung up, after three years, I hung up my uh, yellow visor and I picked up my red board shorts and I became a lifeguard. And you heard me correctly. You're like, wow, so you guarded lives. Yes. Isn't that like what Avengers do? Yes. Thank you. And you're welcome. I did save a few little kids, although full disclosure, when the, when the deep end is five feet, here's what that looks like. The little kids who can't swim and are hanging onto the edge will like slip off and panic and you go, oh, there you go. Call me Aquaman because I saved your life. I am a hometown hero. I lifeguarded for years, and so my expertise on H2O, that's just a fancy way of saying water, uh, scored me a job at the Denver Aquarium. The Denver Aquarium. I was the stingray guy at the Denver Aquarium. And so it's 2010. We were in a recession. This is what a college degree got you. You can be the stingray guy, or you can just go be a preacher. <laughs> like, same education required for both, right? So that's encouraging if you call this church your home. 
So I, like, for, out, for eight hours a day, I'd stand next to the pool, and I, like, there's like 20 stingrays in it, and I, I would say, guys, two fingers on the fins, right? That's like the technical way to pet a stingray. Two fingers on the fins. Don't grab the stinger, right? I had to tell like adults that. And then that was my time there. Nine years ago, I started my whole journey with, uh, with ministry. And for three years, I did unpaid internships. And then I did a year of unpaid missions. And then I waited tables for a year. And then I, I wound up at Red Rocks Church and did part-time young adult ministry and part-time graphic design, which led to full-time young adult ministry, with, which came with health insurance, which was awesome, especially when you're married. And then that led to church planting for the past year. And here's what I've learned on my work journey up until this point. Your work and what you do, vocationally or not, is a core part of your humanness, regardless of what it is you do. You are loved for who you are, but you are created to do. John Mark Comer would say this, you are bursting with raw, uncut potential. My gosh, if you could actually believe this about yourself, You have the blood of royalty in your veins, made to rule, made to subdue. You have a dizzying amount of pent-up potential in you to do good or to do evil. What kind of ruler will you be? Salem Elohim Radah, image of the invisible God, made to, that's that's the imago Dei, right? made to royally reign and actively partner with God in taking his creation somewhere. And so there's your theology for the day. You're smarter. Who cares? Let's take this theology and what we know and let's convert it into something real for this week. I wanna do two Two points right here. Two ways to actively reign and rule over creation in the sphere that you find yourself in this week. Two ways in partnering with God to move the world forward. Here we go. Way number one. Number one. I must, I must, rada. there's that word. I must reign or rule or have dominion over. I must rada my talents time, and treasure. Your most precious and valuable resources, your talents, your time, and your treasure will either serve you or they will rule you depending on who you use them for. So are you stewarding your talents? Let's start there. Because you have things that you're intrinsic and intrinsically good at. You have things that you're, you're passionate about, and God made you that way. You are not an accident, okay? You might have surprised mom and dad. You did not surprise the Trinity, okay? You're here for a reason, and you're, you're here by design with a purpose. You have gifts, and you have talents, and you are not called to downplay those gifts or talents in the name of false humility. You are called to dream big and live better and use those talents to cultivate and create within creation. Playing small is like praying small. It helps nobody ever. 
First Corinthians 12, seven says this, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. I love that. You, you show who God is by your talents, okay? Which you do have. Everybody gets in on it and everybody benefits. And so I love, I love the question, hey, what do you wanna be or who, like, what do you wanna do when you grow up? I love that question because I think your imagination is like one of the most important things that you own. And I still remember a class assignment in Mrs. Mylan's second grade class where we had to draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. And, and for me, it would always, I would either draw an MLB player, an NBA player, an NFL player, or just a rich guy. Because I'm like, obviously that's the right answer. Why are more people not picking that, right? If you can just choose... Rich guy is the answer, right? And so <laughs> I love that question. Here's the question I've recently become even more passionately about. What did the divine designer divinely design you to do? Because he designed you specifically to be good at some stuff. And then by default, he designed you not to really be good at some other stuff, right? Exhibit A, thousands of people who try out for American Idol every single season, right? <laughs> Exhibit B, me trying out for the NFL or trying to make it in the business world, right? What did God design you to do? Where do you see fruit in your life? And then what if you followed that fruit? And rather than getting caught in the comparison game and looking to the left and right, like wishing that God made you different, I'm telling you this, you are a direct product of God's genius and creativity. Like he looks at you and he says, nailed it when he looks at you. Like right now, he's having a conversation, a divine conversation, like looking down at his divine design going, spirit, Jesus, Gabriel, get over here. Look at Ronnie. It's a little goofy, but we crushed that. We crushed it when, we, when it came to Ronnie. And he looks at you and he says the exact same thing. Man, that's good. And, and like God made everything that you see in planet Earth too. He's, he made every, like all the galaxies that you see photos of, every sunset, the starry night sky. He made all of that, but he looks at you and goes, man, that, that is good. And you might look around at a church this size and think, man, they don't really need me here. And I've been praying soon you find out how wrong you are about that. This is the body of Christ. No big roles and no small roles. And God only made one of you. So are you stewarding you? And how about your time? Do you, do you rule over your time or is time kicking your butt? And my wife would, would rightly call me a hypocrite if I don't let you know I'm preaching to me right here, okay? It was Stephen Furtick who said, your patterns determine your product. And so when it comes to time, we'll just have fun this way. I'll ask this question. You, you don't have to answer this. This can be rhetorical. Are you a morning person? Are you a morning person? Because eventually there will come a day where you just, you can't complain not being a morning person as like your personality type, right? And so for me, I'm like, okay, am I not a morning person or is this more accurate? I woke up in a bad way because of the night before. I stress out all day. All I do is worry about everything and I call it prayer. My fuel is not vitamins and veggies, 
I eat for convenience, right? I drink caffeine after four. I eat sugar after eight. I stay up late watching another episode. I get in bed where I scroll on Instagram, and so my brain is restless all night, and so I'm not a morning person. No. (laughs) You stink at ruling over your time. Oh my gosh, I'm preaching to me, but let's pretend I'm talking to you. See, sometimes it's good to come up for a breath of fresh practical air. Like we can't always be so like theological, like, oh, 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar erected a statue that was 90 cubits in height. Like, how about this? Like stop eating sugar after A and scrolling on Instagram in bed and wondering why you can't sleep well and you're always tired, right? Stop like, Conrad, write that down, text it to me later because I need it and I'll forget it. Are you ruling your time or is time kicking your butt right now, right? (laughs) Are you saying no to things? How about this? Is your life a rhythm? How good does this sound? Is your life a rhythm of work and rest or is it a noisy, exhausting pendulum swing between workaholism and laziness, right? Are you saying, like, are, like, do you feel like you're just constantly, like, in survival mode and you don't even have enough time to get out of it, just trying to keep up and like, hey, I get being busy, okay? I have one kid. If you have more than that, I will never complain to you about being tired or busy, okay? But I will say what's a fact for all of us, as we move into the future and the world becomes more and more available, you will have to say no to more and more good things good things, or before you know it, those good things will move in and take the place of great things and great people. And I'm here just right now, maybe you need it. Hey, permission to be human in a world that requires energizer bunnies, right? And let's give each other permission to be human and to say no. Like if that person says no to you, maybe it's not because of you. Maybe they're trying to come up for some air and be human as well, right? Permission to be human and say no. You have dominion over creation. Time is part of creation. A.W. Tozer would say it this way. Money and time are your two most precious resources, but they're also your two most powerful indicators. Like you wanna know what you love? Look no further than where you spend your money. And you wanna know who you really are? Look no further than where you spend your time. How you steward your time and your treasure are like, they, they tell you so much about your substance and who you really, really are, right? And God, here's what I know about God. He won't take either of those things. He waits for you to offer them to him, which is why whatever God's going to do in your life and through your life, I don't know, but I will say this. He will start with whatever it is that you offer him and give him, which means you are the only limiting factor in what God can do in your life. You must, we must, radah, royally reign and have dominion over our, our talents, our time, and our treasure. And, and, and that simply happens, like they will serve you or rule you, depending on if your hands are gripped like this or this around them. We must redah our talents, time, and treasure. 
We gotta keep going. I wish we could talk about that for like another hour. Here we go. Last but not least, work is worship because the secular is now sacred. Let me unpack that. There is no such thing as a sacred, secular divide for Christians. He's with you in church on Sunday. He's with you at the club on Friday. And that means you now have an opportunity to worship God with every part of your life. Because here's the danger of the, the sacred, secular divide mindset is most of your life is not spent in church or in your Bible or sharing your faith with people, which means most of your life would be categorized as quote unquote secular, right? But if most of your life is secular, then that means most of your life lacks eternal significance. And when that's true, you will eventually start to believe that it doesn't really mean that much to God. And you'll spend your days changing diapers and answering emails or stocking shelves or making sandwiches at Subway or guarding lives at the pool or cooking dinner or running errands. And you'll start to think, does any of this really matter anyways? When in reality, it's crazy how much it matters because God is in everything and there's royal blood coursing through your veins and God is working through you to take the world forward. I'm here to ask you this question. What if there is a self-made dam in your life holding back a vast spiritual reservoir from everything about your life that you would call secular? And what if Jesus wants to destroy that? So everything that's sacred and spiritual can, like a raging river, rush into every part of your daily life, right? And Ben, you can come up. Because if you, if you went back 2,000 years ago and you asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, how's your spiritual life going? He would probably look at you a little confused because to him, he'd be like, that, I mean, that's a redundant question. All of my life is spiritual, Right? The Old Testament is three quarters of your Bible and it's written in Hebrew. Did you know that in the Hebrew language, they do not have a word for spiritual because it's just understood everything is spiritual. Every part of your life is spiritual. So when you invite somebody to church or pray around the table before dinner or you work hard at the office and you, you come home and, and play with your kids or you make lunches and run errands or you look up from your phone for one minute to engage a, a stranger in a conversation or when you exercise or when you, you spend time with people that you love, everything that once upon a time you would have called secular, now with Jesus in your life becomes spiritual and becomes sacred. And check this out right here. And this is my conclusion. 70% of your audience re-engages upon the use of the word conclusion. So right here, guys, is my conclusion. I will conclude with this right here. So lean in because this is my conclusion. We worship God best through our work when we work with a spirit of excellence. When we work with a spirit of excellence. So here's where I'm going. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sick and tired of the word Christian in the eyes of the world being synonymous with the word average. Like, I'm, just, I'm sick and tired of that. Like, what if Christians were known for being excellent at work? 
Like, we're like, uh, like as baristas, we make excellent lattes. As sandwich artists, we make excellent footlong, sweet onion, chicken teriyaki subs toasted on sweet, uh, on honey bread with extra pepper jack cheese, right? Like, as engineers, we build excellent buildings. As doctors and nurses, we have excellent bedside manner. As financial planners, we strengthen families by helping them make excellent and generous stewardship decisions. I mean, if God is the source of all creativity and everything that is good, and if his greatness cannot be exaggerated, and if you and I were made in his excellent image, then the things we create and the work we do should show him off, right? And it starts with an excellent spirit. Like I'm having dreams of like a world where Christians are the best teachers and flight attendants and police officers and news reporters and moms and dads and husbands and wives and Christians have like the strongest marriages, right? And even like at Red Rocks Church where we like passionately come together and collectively steward and sacrifice our talents, our time and our treasures so that we can together build an excellent church that reaches Denver and Austin and Brussels and beyond, right? Like the best is yet to come, church. Let's make some excellent noise out there in the world. Because the world should know Christians not just by what we believe, but by what we do and how well we do it. Because an excellent God deserves our excellence. And we make God beautiful. We make God beautiful to the world through the way we royally reign and rule and have dominion over his creation. And there's a reason that God chose to start this whole thing, not with a city, but with a garden, with untapped, untamed potential. And there's a reason he made human beings and put them in it. And there's a reason he intrinsically designed each of us with a deep, innate desire to want what we do to matter. And it's because what we do does matter. And so make no mistake, when you wake up this Monday morning, there's nothing normal about your Monday or your Tuesday or your Wednesday or Thursday or Friday anymore. There can't be if you are the Salem Elohim. There can't be if you are the image of the invisible God here to make him tangible, here to to co-reign with the king and co-create with the creator. There's nothing normal about that. Here to, to work the earth in every sense of the word. You are loved for who you are, but you are created to do, created to do with a faith that you actually use, not just one that you have and hope you never need to. A real, gritty, authentic, raw faith with every element included, amen? Would you guys stand? We're about to sing my favorite worship song ever. It's a song by Hillsong United called So Will I. And this song is essentially about earth and God's creation and how all of creation worships him, right? So uh, you can go read about this in Romans 8 this week if you want to. 
But Romans 8 makes the point that, hey, like if we don't worship him, the rocks will cry out in silence that he is God and that he is Lord and that he is worthy of our praise, right? That all of creation somehow, somehow like remembers what it was like back before the fall in Genesis 3 and is like groaning to get back there, pleading with God to to come back and renew and restore this earth once and for all. They They are worshiping him somehow. Don't ask me how that works. All I know, according to Romans 8, is that that is what ha- yeah, that's what's happening. And if the stars are made to worship him, then we will too, right? If the rocks cry out in silence, then I will too. If the oceans roar his greatness, then so will I. Because as he speaks, he speaks and stars and galaxies come out of his mouth. And that same God looks at you and says, nailed it. That galaxy's good. You're great. (laughs) He has divine conversations about you and how proud he is and how much he crushed it at wiring into you everything that is part of who you are. You are loved for who you are, but from who you are stems what you do and you were made for that. And so God, I pray, I can't, I can't preach this into people's hearts, but you can plant seeds into people's hearts. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that that's exactly what you would do, God. Speak to us individually in this time of worship, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come to this space right here, right now. Do what a sermon can't do and what music can't do. Transform hearts from the inside out right here, right now, God. Heal hearts that need to be healed. Give rest to hearts that haven't felt it or experienced it in far too long. Right here, right now, give us the strength to lift our hands to heaven regardless of our season and worship you alongside of creation, God, for your glory, for your fame. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.